0: everybody welcome back to exploring the lord of the rings this is session number 225 as we are finally saying our really our last goodbyes to rivendell now i'm sure that um when one you know when one reads through the book at speed one is not quite so caught up in how long the departure takes but i do have to say there are more like separate movements you know what i mean of um Uh, I mean, it's not quite like the end of the Return of the King movie where there's like feels like, you know, uh, the the film seems to invoke multiple like ending uh, 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 kind of traditions in a row, which kind of faked everybody out. Um, It's there's 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 a slight element of that, though, isn't there where we keep getting one thing and then another, you know, we got the. Um, the kind of narrator telling us about the end of their time, right, which made it sound like okay. Then where they're going to set off, and then we got the de- the the departure scene between Frodo and Bilbo, which then led to Bilbo's song, and then we were going through and getting the description of everybody's gear and stuff, which sounded like starting. But then we're still standing outside the door, and we get an interlude with Sam and Bill the pony. Right. And uh, now we're finally getting and when, of course, we had we were interrupted by the, uh, cu- the the horn cry of Boromir. And now we're going to get the final words. Elrond and Gandalf are finally going to, in fact, show up at the door and we're going to get these final words and then a departure. Right. So it the the um, uh, the it's. It is indeed a, again. Our pace makes it feel perhaps more extended than it might actually be, um, and yet it is still an interestingly prolonged departure. Especially when you compare it, for instance, to the departure from Rivendell uh, in The Hobbit, you know, which is kind of parallel in its in its structure, right? As the you know the, the kind of waypoint. Now, obviously, it is doing different work in The Lord of the Rings than it did in The Hobbit, but still, um, uh, they got off a little a little more. Swiftly, right? It's interesting to see how things are uh, moving along. You know, I keep thinking we're closer to finally actually departing (laughs) Riffindell than we are. Um, uh, Jackie, yes, it will be interesting to compare this leave-taking to the one in Lorien, um, which is also definitely going to, I think, be similar um, in the fact that there's going to be a whole bunch of separate... False starts. I think we're going to be in the process of leaving Lorien. I mean, we're in the process of leaving Lorien for an entire chapter, in fact. So, um, yeah, yeah, exactly, Trifle. Lorien is longer if you count the picnic lunch. Exactly, exactly. And I, I, it, I, I think you have to. I think you have to count that. Um, but um, anyway, okay. But uh, before we go, just a, a couple quick, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, uh, talk about too much tonight. One, I just want to remind folks um, uh, about our uh, our space modules coming up. We, there's still a couple weeks. We've got uh, our 14 awesome new space modules for m- the month of May that have been confirmed. Uh, go to uh, uh, Signum University. Dot org slash space um or go down and click on blackberry and you can search among them all there uh it's pretty cool so um yeah evil doctor canon i saw you got your first tokens um it's been a great deal um it's been a great deal of fun watching people get plugged in there's so much going on in space right now um you can learn all kinds of languages. We've got we've got a whole bunch of new uh, uh, invented languages, both about constructing your own language and looking at various other invented languages. We're running modules both on Tolkien's invented languages and on Klingon. Uh, we're doing a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of real world languages as well. Uh, lots of really fun literature modules. We're doing our first Terry Pratchett module. All kinds of things going on uh, in space these days. Um, yeah. Uh, (laughs) The History of Anime module uh, proved conclusively that Luthien was singing J-pop, JJ. Okay, see, there we go. Look what I missed by not taking that module. Who knew? Um, But um, anyway, yeah, lots and lots of stuff going on. So I just strongly urge you to uh, look into space. It's just been... Growing so fast over the last few months, and it's been so exciting to see so many new people uh, discovering it and uh, you know sharing tokens and bringing their friends in it's it's been uh, it's been great fun um, The other thing I wanted to say is I, I've mentioned before we have had this um uh, sort of uh, unfolding saga about uh mythmoot we're having to relocate mythmoot from our normal venue at the national conference center because the national conference center is being given over to a whole bunch of child refugees from afghanistan which is really cool we're so glad that they're doing that um but of course it's been we've had to endure a little bit of inconvenience as we've been waiting for the confirmation of uh, our final venue i've been told we are like A day or two away from uh, we're waiting just on like the final signatures uh, on the contract for our new location. So we should have something new to announce very soon. Keep an eye on the MythMoot page uh, for announcements there. It's going to be it's going to be very near to Dulles Airport. So it's still in the same area, the same general area, not going to be. In the middle of Leesburg, uh, you know, it, it's not going to be right where the NCC was, um, but it's going to be actually much, much closer to Dallas Airport. So it'll be, for people who are flying in, it'll actually be a great deal more convenient um, in that way. Um, I think they're firming up the location first, and then I think the news about the proposals will be coming out, JJ. I think those are being done by the same person. So, so I think that that should be coming out, uh, should be coming out soon. Um, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Oh man, Mad Violinist, I can only imagine you're doing the uh, Space Trilogy on the entire Ransom Trilogy, uh, the uh, Lewis's Space Trilogy, uh, in eight classes, and uh, it's a rather whiplash to do that and exploring the Lord of the Rings in one day. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, cool. So, anyway, so just want to let you know that MythMoot news is coming, and as I said, we're definitely gonna. You can, you know, you can be definitely planning to be coming into uh, Dallas Airport if you're flying in. We're gonna be right there uh, around that um, uh, around that area. It's gonna be uh, uh, it's and it it should be it should be really good. I'm really uh, I'm confident that that's all gonna work out, and we should have an announcement on that soon. The other thing that I I should mention moot wise is that we officially have registration open well in advance uh for Ozmoot, our first ever southern hemisphere regional moot it's not a regional moot for the entire southern hemisphere that would be quite an uh an ambitious region to define but of course it's in australia and uh we are uh, it's it's going to be in in uh, in january of twenty twenty three so some advance notice uh for osmoot um but uh i definitely uh, suggest that you check that out uh go to our events page signumuniversity.org slash events and you'll be able to find a link to the osmoot page uh and can uh i can see we've already had a couple registrations uh for the uh for osmoot um again it's well in advance it's not until january so there's this nine months warning uh on uh, the planning for that um but uh Uh, But of course, for many of us, it's fairly far away. So not a bad idea to be planning well in advance. Um, Anyway, so that's I'm really excited about that. And it is, I hope, the first of several um, international moots that we should be able to have. That is one of my big goals. Uh, You know, we got our regional moots up and running again this year. I'm really looking forward to getting back into international moots next year. Um, I, I think we're definitely gonna do a europe moot um this coming year in addition to oz moot so we'll be over in europe we'll be down in australia um maybe creeping across the border into canada i'm here i'm hearing that there's a, uh there's a few things in the mountain west region and maybe the pacific northwest that we might add um i i think that i've been waiting wanting to add the pacific northwest for a long time so we may actually get there um and um as for where in Europe, I, it's, still, I think I, I, it's still undecided. There's still two different places we're trying to figure out what's going to work out best. Uh, Sweden or Germany, I think, are our two finalists uh, for the Europe moot there. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, no, not, Canada and then Mountain... Not Canadian Mountain West uh, Mike, though, that's also possible. I could, I know some folks in Alberta, maybe we could do that or in Saskatchewan, but, um, uh, no, it would be, Canada would probably be East, would probably be like Toronto is, is probably where we would do Canada. Um, and then we would, um, um, and then we would do, um, we're looking at Denver, uh, and Salt Lake City, perhaps both. Um, so anyway, uh, lots of, uh, Lots of options there. Uh, SoCal Moot uh, uh, down in the LA area should be making a comeback, uh, thanks to some of you, uh, actually, um, some of our Tuesday night regulars. Um, so anyway, there should be um, uh, there should be lots. Of moot options for the fall. We've already got middle moot in Kansas City working. Um, you know, sunshine moot for next year back in Orlando again. You know, so we should be able to repeat all the moots that we did this year, plus adding back. Love to see Magnolia moot kick back up again. Um, so, um, lots of... Uh, lots of options there um and um one thing i wanted to mention by the way um anyone who's in the new england area who would be interested in helping to helping us to plan uh the the you know and, and secure location and we might even be able to just use the same location we did last year i'm not sure but anyway um if you're interested in, if you're in anywhere in the new england area and you want to um uh, you, you're interested in, in maybe helping to plan that, let me know, uh, because we, uh, I think we're looking for more assistance with that this year. Um, but, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, and yes, uh, meow, there is indeed the, uh, the, the tickets are for sale. There are, there should be plenty of them. I, yeah, so that should be, that should be all good. Um, hey, great. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Magnolia, Magnolia Moot looks like it might be opening up again, Matt. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so anyway, lots of lots of fun options. Really looking forward to the regional moots. I'll give you more of an update on uh, kind of the current. St- I'll give you a slightly more organized update on the current state of thinking uh, as far as planning regional moots. Um, but of course, we are now looking down the home stretch towards Mythmoot. Mythmoot is the big one, the big Moot every year, um, and I am so excited for that. The last thing I wanted to announce, by the way, uh, before I get going, I'll try to remember to say it again at the end. Um, I've got some more travel coming up. I've got family travel. Um, So I'm actually going to be gone for the next two weeks, so um, we won't be able to uh, meet again until, uh, what is it, the 10th, I think, of uh, May, whatever, the 3rd, 2nd. Tuesday of, uh, of May. I think that'll be the next time. And I'm pretty sure I'll be around then, uh, that week. I'm, um, actually traveling again that week, but I think I'll be home on the Tuesday. Um, so, um, trying to, um, trying to, uh, trying to figure that out that week. I'm trying to figure out getting out to North Dakota to help my son move. So uh, the dates, we're still working on that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, so yeah, so I will be away for the next two weeks, unfortunately. So I won't be able to uh, uh, to have class next week or the week after. But we'll be back the week after that. All right, let us get back to Elrond here. Um, so these were the last words of Elrond. Well, okay, he's going to participate in the discussion right afterwards too. But here's his last big speech, right? At that moment, Elrond came out with Gandalf, and he called the company to him. "'This is my last word,' he said in a low voice. "'The ring-bearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom. "'On him alone is any charge laid, neither to cast away the ring, "'nor to deliver it to any servant of the enemy, nor indeed to let any handle it, "'save members of the company and the council, and only then in gravest need. "'The others go with him as free companions to help him on his way. "'You may tarry, or come back.' Or turn aside into other paths, as chance allows. The further you go, the less easy will it be to withdraw. Yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. For you do not yet know the strength of your hearts, and you cannot foresee what each may meet upon the road. There we go. That's right. J.J. says, except Sam. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. Yes, except except Sam. Except, except Sam. Okay. Um, Lupita, let's start with that. Um, what were Elrond and Gandalf doing? Um, I don't know what Elrond and Gandalf were doing. Um, on the one hand, they've had like months to talk things over, right? Are there still things that they're um that <laughs> that that are you know, uh they didn't get a chance to discuss that they're coming out to discuss? I don't know. Topping off the miravore. yeah, I don't know exactly um uh what they're doing there at the last second while everybody is standing around waiting, literally standing outside, sitting on the steps, standing around waiting. Um but, um, I, yeah, I don't know what they're doing. Um, I was gonna say, I mean, I, I'm very curious about it. I can't pretend that I've always been curious about it because I don't think I've ever really paid attention to that. Um, I think. The important effect, we're told nothing about what they were discussing, and I don't think we're given any hints that would lead us to be able to conclude what they were discussing. I think the important thing is the two of them coming out together, right? Um, The situation that is created here is, I I almost want to say drawing a line in the company, right? Right. Gandalf is a member of the company. It's not that he's not a member of the company. But there is clearly, like, there's a line at which has most of the company on one side of the line and Gandalf with Elrond on the other side of the line, right? He's the leader of their company. Um, he and Elrond were having a private consultation and the two of them come out together. And when they come out, it's time to go. Everybody else, including Aragorn, is just sitting around waiting for them to come, right? So it does definitely um, distinguish the, um, distinguish them, right? Gandalf is in Elrond's class, right, is in Elrond's category. The two of them are coming out shoulder to shoulder, you know, uh, to they are, the, they are the wise. They are the advisors, right? They are the ones making the plans. This is not a democracy. Right. They are not all being consulted. Um, uh, Gandalf and Elrond are figuring out what to do. And everybody else, again, even Aragorn, is kicking his heels just waiting to set out. Right. Basically waiting to be told uh, what to do. Um, and then when you know Elrond comes out and gives his last word, as he calls it, right, He gives his last word, which, as I've said, are practically his last words. Um, He says very few things in the entire Lord of the Rings after this. I mean, it's a small number of speeches he gets after this in the whole Lord of the Rings. Um, But, um, again, the fact that Gandalf is sort of standing shoulder to shoulder with him, right? Um, You know, and he called the company to him, but Gandalf's already there. Again, I, I, I don't want to make too much of it, but do you see what I mean about this sense... Um, how Gandalf is in a different category than the other members of the company, right? This company is being led by one of the wise, Gandalf, right? And, um, you know, this is not, Gandalf is not like first among equals. This is not like, okay, the nine of us are setting out. Let's, uh, you know, let's vote on who's going to be the leader or whatever. Like there's, it, there's no question, right? Gandalf is, um, this is, this is, Gandalf's company, right? Um, And he, as a, as one of the wise, is very definitely the leader. Uh, And, um, uh, yeah, and there is, I think, an element. uh, One does not, I agree. Um, uh, To me, it always felt like Elrond was passing the wise torch unofficially to Gandalf. Um, Yeah, I mean, we've already talked about how you know Gandalf seems to be unofficially taking up the you know the mantle of uh, you know you know the the interim white wizard here right I mean he he's already one of the wise but yes there is a certain um, well anointing isn't quite the right metaphor but um, but yeah it's very clear who's sort of on the inside and who's not Gandalf's definitely not saying goodbye to Bilbo because Bilbo's standing outside with frodo shivering Um, at this point. Uh, so, uh, Gandalf is, he's among the, he's not going to go with them, right? But he is with them outside. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Everett, that's really interesting. Um. Oh, we'll come to that in a second when we get to that passage. Um, but yes, Chris, exactly. He's he's a tier above, right? Gandalf is definitely a tier above everybody else. Uh, and I, I'm not just trying to establish Gandalf's superiority, but it does seem to me important. Um, it, this is going to be important as we move through book two that is the the sense in which gandalf is on another tier this is not um a um, this is not a, i guess it's, this is not a democracy this is not a first among equals situation this is gandalf's show um you'll remember elrond already set that up when they determined who would go when they were talking about the membership of the company um you know when he said that this will be gandalf's greatest task and perhaps the end of his labors like this is gandalf's show right um, and this is going to be really important. This this fact is going to be really important as we go through book two, because, of course, Gandalf is going to go away. And then there's the question of what happens next and what do you do? Um, <laughs> spoilers, JJ. Sorry. Sorry. Don't mean to spoil anything for anybody there. Um but I think that also the content of Elrond's speech here is equally pointing... I'm, I'm kind of, I think, I feel like I'm being more sensitive to that, to Gandalf's role and relative position and leadership here. You know, the significance of his leadership position, or the quality, I think, of his leadership position, um, because of how Elrond's... of what his last words are, or what his last word is. He uses the singular there. This is my last word. Now... Um, why um. Why is he speaking in a low voice? Um, is he just trying to make a point to Boromir? Right. Let's keep our voices down, everybody, because we wouldn't want to like blow a horn to announce we're departing or anything. Um, I. I don't. Because it's a solemn moment, maybe. Connor, but at the same time, right? I mean, Thorin, when, when Thorin was confronted with a solemn moment in The Hobbit, right, he responded to that with um, rhetoric, right? Um, and you get the sense that he is not using his inside voice when he's speaking in that way, right? You know, he takes it like it's up like a public speaking moment. And this is an important moment. I mean, think about what's happening here. Elrond, wisest of lore masters, right? Boromir was sent a journey of 110 days, right, to seek out Imladris so that he could consult with Elrond and get his counsel on the unraveling of hard words that they don't understand in Minas Tirith, right? But it was deemed worthwhile um, to to take that long journey in order to get to seek the wisdom and advice of Elrond and here they are, setting out on this enormously important quest, right? They are literally going to try to save the world in what looks like a desperate and probably failing expedition um, which is deeply counterintuitive in lots of ways I'm thinking of the whole small hands do them because they must thing um, and our hope is not in strength and all that kind of thing. Um So it's this momentous, but also strange quest, right? And here Elrond is the host. So he is the one who is sending them forth, essentially, from his home, right? Plus it was, you know, his council, after all, um, even though he didn't call them. And and now the wisest of all lore masters in Middle-earth is going to give them his last word, right? His last piece of advice, the final counsel from the wisest you know lore master in Middle-earth this should be worth listening to right? And he he says it in a low voice as if he doesn't want people to overhear it um uh yeah I, I um it does you know, Matt, I wonder if it could be a kind of rhetorical trick, right? Um, you know, there are two ways that you can get people's attention. One is to speak loudly and the other is to speak quietly, right? So that people have to lean forward and pay attention in order to hear what you're saying. Um, if you want to make sure they're hanging on your words, you do one of one of one one or the other, right, of the two things. Um, uh, yeah, likely a bot, I do agree with you that the... Uh, like we about says, uh, the low voice of Elrond... Uh, he finds the low voice of Elrond emotionally satisfying. Um, yes. Yeah, you wouldn't want his voice to ring out here or be hearty. Certainly not hearty. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, so you're saying that it seems to fit the... The solemnity? Solemnity of the moment? Um, a kind of intimacy, Velary, as you're suggesting? Like, get everybody to come close together? Right. Um, Stand in a really tight circle in order to be able to hear. Um, Yes. Yes. Um, uh, And because I now another option would, of course, be that he's about to reveal something very sensitive and he's just like almost instinctively saying it in a low voice, like something that he really doesn't want understood, or you know, like overheard, right? But I don't think that that's exactly it. Mostly because of the content of what he says, right? So let's look at the content, and then maybe we can come back to the low voice. The ring-bearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom. Okay, so that's a secret, right? Um, there's a sentence which nobody is supposed to be saying aloud again, for a considerable time, and I wonder, by the way, if uh, if that isn't part of the idea, right? I am saying this stuff in a low voice in order to place your setting out on this journey in the appropriate context of discretion and secrecy, right? Um, if he were to boom it out, right? If his and it doesn't matter. I'm presumably. I don't think there are very many people there. Um, you know, in Rivendell who shouldn't hear this, though, you know, we do hear that even in Rivendell, the ring might not be a matter for common talk, but still, um, if he were to be declaiming this, right, the ring bearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom, like that, doesn't that sound weird, right? Even if everybody in the room knows it, they're not in a room, they're outside on the steps, but um, even if everybody in earshot already knows this, and so it's okay, you know, but after this, we, uh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say this out loud, but, you know, for this last time we're going to. It doesn't seem to set the right tone, right? Um, this is a secret quest, and so let's, um, uh, let's, let's say it, say it quietly, right? Um, yeah, Graham says Boromir obviously didn't read the room. Exactly. I mean, the contrast with Boromir seems very striking here, right? Um, Let's not have any disjunction between the spirit in which we set out and the spirit in which we're going to continue on. So I, unlike certain Gondorian captains I could mention, am going to establish the quiet, discreet, um, secretive tone. Um, The Ringbearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom. On him alone is any charge laid, neither to cast away the ring, nor to deliver it to any servant of the enemy, nor indeed to let any handle it, save members of the company and the council, and only then in gravest need. Okay, first. What do you notice about the ring-bearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom? He tells them, he says, um, yeah, you're right, Jackie, it is very elevated in style, right? This is, uh, look at all the capital letters in that sentence. Capital ring bearer, capital quest of Mount Doom, right? This is, um, um, this is a major, it is a, a sort of a ceremonial pronouncement. It does look, sound like a book title, doesn't it? Um, yeah, and Gilgalite, Gil- Gil- I think that's why he doesn't name Frodo. Right. It doesn't say Frodo is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom because um, that's less formal. Right. Um, th- it's true enough, but that's that's not what's happening here. What is happening here is that the ring bearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom because, um, by the way, this is also. Sam is implicitly, I think, involved here. Right. Um, the ring bearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom the ring bearer shall indeed go to Mount Doom, but the ring bearer might not always be the same person. Exactly, Google Lady. I think it does leave room for other people to become a ring bearer. Yes, as indeed will happen, right? Um, uh, the ring bearer, along with the auxiliary backup ring bearer, are both setting out on the quest of Mount Doom, but the 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 the, the job title, right? Uh, that's really what's setting out, right? Um, Whatever happens to Frodo, we're not really sure at the end of the day. And that's not—Frodo isn't the hero, right? The ring bearer going to Mount Doom. That's what this is about. It's not about Frodo going to Mount Doom. I mean, it kind of is, but that's not really the point. Like, the point is that the ring bearer should go to Mount Doom, and that will probably be Frodo for the vast majority of this trip. But, you know, who knows? You never know. Um, Yeah, it is akin to the commander is leading the army. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, um, Or like the president. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, So it is an interest in that way. It's a kind of ambivalent reaction, right? Um, But notice also, on him alone is any charge laid. Neither. We're talking about Frodo, right? No, we're talking about the role. The ring bearer. just as the president or the commander or whatever would also have duties which would devolve onto whoever happened to be filling those shoes at the time. Um, you may remember ahead that Sam is going to be thinking in precisely these terms when he becomes the ring bearer, right? Once he takes the ring from Frodo uh, in the past, right, after Shelob's Sh- Sting, um, he is going to feel exactly this charge laid upon him. Neither to cast away the ring, nor to deliver it to any servant, nor to let any handle it save members of the company and the council. Like, he's going to think through. What is the ring bearer? I'm the ring bearer now. Well, crap. Now I have a charge laid upon me. Right. Um. So, on him alone, doesn't... This is not, I think, just an indirect way of speaking... Uh. Of speaking to Frodo, again it is, but it's more than that as well. So on the one hand, he gives the entire thing the feeling of a ceremonial pronouncement, right? He elevates the rhetorical mode as as uh, as we were pointing out, um, and that's an important effect, right? Again solemnization of, you know, this is a solemn moment, uh, as as Thorin says, which is, I think, one of the reasons I was thinking about Thorin before. It is a solemn moment. It's one of my favorite Thorinisms. Um, But, um, anyway, uh, but it's not just that. I mean, it is that, but it's more than that, too, right? Um, He is making it clear you might think, oh members of the company, that this is about Frodo. But be careful. Don't just... This is not about Frodo. Only about Frodo. The Ringbearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom. That is what needs to happen. Um, and on the Ringbearer, a charge is laid. So that does not mean the charge is only being laid on one person among you. The charge is being laid upon Whosoever should be the ring bearer. Um, and that's going to become relevant at several points, right? Um, especially, of course, with Boromir, doubly with Boromir, this is going to become relevant towards the end. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Drowsnake, great question. Why the quest of Mount Doom and not the quest to Mount Doom? Yeah, setting out on the quest of Mount Doom. It is an odd phrasing, isn't it? Um, I mean, I would add... Yeah, there are lots of ways in which it could have been framed differently, right? Um, <laughs> perhaps less elegantly, right? He could have said something like, the ring bear is setting out for Mount Doom. You know, on the quest, they're two. <laughs> they're on two or whatever, right? That would not be as elegant a way to phrase it. But again, the point is, um, Durasnake, I, I think if I'm understanding you properly, I think that... Um, um, It's not just citing Mount Doom as a destination, right? The quest of Mount Doom. Um, Yeah, exactly, Bjorn. Getting to Mount Doom will not fulfill the quest, right? Um, It is the quest of Mount Doom? Why not the quest of the ring? Oh, Drowznik, what an excellent question. And I think, what I love about that question is, it it feels like that focuses it for me right away, right? There's a clear reason why it's the quest of Mount Doom and not the quest of the ring, right? Think of what the ring um, think of what the ring is about, right? Think how how the ring operates. Think how the ring operates. How does the ring operate on its wielders? By series of rationalizations, right? Um, this again, a lot of this, I feel, is pointing towards the breaking of the fellowship at the end of uh, at the end of book two here. Um, but excuse me. I'm thinking, of course of the rationalizations that Boromir's is going to be offering, right? Why we should <clears throat> really go to Minas Tirith first, right? Um, the ring, you can justify, if, if, if the quest is the quest of the ring, right? If the ring is the focal point, I mean, obviously, again, in a sense, it is, right? Um, but no what comes first? The identity of this quest is what was decided at the council, right? What shall we do with it? That was the big question. The answer was we must send the ring to the fire, right? I agree. Boromir tries to make it the quest of the ring instead, right? Or even there to say, I think the same thing another way. If you turn it around to saying it's the quest of the overthrow of Sauron, right? Like, I mean, isn't that what we're all about at the end of the day, right? I mean, isn't the point of all of this to, um, you know, to overthrow Sauron, to win, right? Winning. It's the quest of, for victory, right? So, um, let's achieve victory by the most practical means necessary. It's like, no, like, no rationalizations, no hedges, no doubts. The quest is the quest of Mount Doom. You are going to Mount Doom, and there's only one thing you can do (laughs) at Mount Doom. Gilgalady, exactly. Quest of the Ring would seem to make the ring the goal, whereas the quest of Mount Doom makes the destruction the goal. And it explicitly says how and where that is to be done. Right. Um, There's no wiggle room in the quest of Mount Doom. Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, why not the quest for Mount Doom in the same vein as the quest for Erebor? Um, okay. Yeah, good. Bionna Hunter says to use of... Um, seems to make Mount Doom the means, which it very much is. Um yes, yes. Um, right. It's uh, it's not only the goal but that which pertains to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um and I agree, Snake for or the quest for Erebor. It's you're trying to achieve something, right? It's the achievement of Erebor, the liberation of of Erebor. Um again, Mount Doom isn't it's not an end in itself. It's a means, right? For Thorin, Erebor was the end, right? Um, The purpose of the entire quest. Mount Doom isn't the purpose of the quest, just the essential means of achieving the quest, right? Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Also, phrasing it this way, really makes I think really lays a very heavy stress on the significance of the name of Mount Doom. What should we call this quest? Right? This quest needs a snappy title. Um, I think we should call it The Quest of Mount Doom because Mount Doom really establishes the feel for this quest, right? Um, and I'm not exactly being frivolous, but I'm kind of... uh, uh, I'm being a little bit frivolous, but I'm also being mostly serious here. Um, Because, of course, we've talked about this before. Doom has a couple different meanings. It could mean what Boromir thought the Doom meant when they were talking about the Doom of... You know, is the Doom of Minas Tirith at hand, right? Um, uh, it It can just mean the point of ultimate destruction, right? It may well be that this quest will end in their... They are bringing the ring straight into the heart of the enemy's stronghold, right? I mean, uh, this is... This could end up being, you know, the quest which overthrows Sauron for good and all. This also could be like, um, you know, Sauron ordering something on express delivery, right, uh, to be left propped up against his garage door. Uh, That's (laughs) the other alternative here, right? That they are hand-wrapping the Doom, in that sense, of the entire west of Middle-earth, right, Um, and delivering it to Sauron. Um, So there is that possibility, right? Um, But, of course, it is also the other you know, that, that sense of fate, right? The appeal to destiny, I think, um, is one of the other things that appeals to Elrond here in calling it the quest of Mount Doom. On Mount Doom, doom shall fall, as we shall hear. And that's exactly, I think, the thing that Elrond is foreseeing. The name that was given to Mount Doom, um, which I think was primarily thinking about the second you know, or rather the first four, the the the, the other version, that what we were talking about, you know, death and destruction coming from it, right? It is Mount Doom in that sense, and I think that's why it's called that uh, in uh, in Gondor. Um, but Elrond, I think, is investing the name of Mount Doom with a different sense, right? Um, it is, in this way, an auspicious name. It's not just a depressing name for the quest. It's not a pessimistic name for the quest. Um... Doom is coming. It may be doom for the West, it might be doom for Sauron, um, but it is definitely fate. Um, They and the quest itself are in the hands of fate, and that in the end, I think, is what matters to Elrond, as we'll see. Um, But anyway, okay, then it gets to the charge. On him alone is any charge laid. Okay. Nobody. So first of all, let's focus on the charge that is in fact laid upon the ring bearer. Neither to cast away the ring. Nor to deliver it to any servant of the enemy. Nor indeed to let any handle it. Save members of the company and the council. And only then in gravest need. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, Matt, you are right. It does have a similar shape to, like, the quest of the Sangreal. Um, yeah, the Arthurian Holy Grail quest. The of is the construction that's used there, too. That's really that's really um, uh, true. So, charge. Jackie, I don't think it's a casual word. Um, to lay a charge upon somebody, that's kind of a big deal. Um, there's a formality in that. On him alone is any charge laid. Um, It's a careful word, right? Um, You could say command. Right? You could say command. Um, But who's commanding him? Right? A command implies a commander. Like, Elrond's not the boss. He's not king. Right? Um, uh, (laughs) Nobody voted for him. Um, He's not king, so he can't give orders like orders are for soldiers right commands are for subjects uh, none of those things are really relevant here right a charge though um, is like a command and it's like an order it is a duty that is laid upon someone by someone else um, something that you you maybe but it's, and it's not just something that is you uh, um, a natural duty, right? Like a nat like a, you know, a nat a moral duty or something like that. It's not like I have a duty not to murder anybody, right? That's a different kind of charge, a different kind of duty, right? This is something specific, right? Um uh, Aragorn is going to run into this kind of thing, right? This is what's going to be troubling Aragorn at the end of book 2. Where on the one hand he feels that a charge has been laid upon him to come to Gondor, like he feels that the the poem, the dream was a summons, and it is he is being called to come to Gondor and needs to answer that call, right? He he feels there is a charge that is laid upon him there. Aragorn does, um, but at the same time, then in the post Gandalf situation, he also feels this duty now upon him to take up. Gandalf's leadership and guidance of the party, so he's torn between those two duties, right? Um, but a charge is officially, right, um, something that is laid upon someone, again, by someone else, Um There's only one person that has a charge laid, and that is the ring bearer, which, again, as we've said, is deliberately sort of ambivalent, right? It's or ambiguous. It's the it's the, you know, whoever has the job of ring bearer has this charge laid on him. So let's let's look at the the charge exactly. Don't cast away the ring. Okay, Uh, don't chuck it out the window, right? And this might seem like, um, you know kind of goes without saying that that would be a bad idea, but I think that that's important. Um, don't fling it into the river and bolt, Mad, mad violinists, just in case anyone might be thinking in those directions. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Gildalo and I agree. There's only one circumstance in which casting away the ring is okay, right? And that's into particular volcanic crevices. Um, apart from that, you don't want to cast away the ring. Um uh, yeah. Okay. Um. Right. Likely about says I would find it the biggest temptation. Um. Yeah. Good. Evil Doctor Cannon. I agree. Don't give in to primal fear. Like, don't. It, that's going to be. And he states it first. To acknowledge, that's gonna be a temptation. You know, like this is gonna come up. You are going to encounter. The temptation. Frodo, and, you know, anybody else who becomes ring bearer at one point or another, um, it, it is going, you're going to encounter the temptation just to get rid of it, just to cast it away, to do anything, to offload it, because you're terrified, right, and the pressure's too much. Um, so that's, um, that's the first thing, right? Um, secondly, nor to deliver it to any servant of the enemy also seems like a no-brainer, right? Um, don't, uh, don't give it to any servants of the enemy, okay? Right? Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, why is he mentioning that? Like, don't hand it to any orcs? Okay. Um, come, my friend, why not be rid of it? Yes, exactly. That might get said at some point. Um, It's true, Amareya, that servants of the enemy will get harder to recognize. Um, Yeah, yeah. But I agree, Jackie, my impression is that Elrond is being very thorough here, right? Um, He is laying a charge explicitly on the ringbearer. Here are your instructions. These are the entire instructions for the quest. This is Elrond's last word. Neither to cast away the ring, nor to deliver it to any servant of the enemy, nor indeed to let any handle it, save members of the company and the council, and only then in gravest need. Um, Doesn't this sound a little uh, uh, lawyerish, right? Um, Like he's explicitly covering bases, like he's explicitly. like he's explicitly closing loopholes here, right? I want to make it very clear what you are and are not supposed to do. Keep in mind... um, Keep in mind that I don't think it's only for the ring bearer's benefit, right? Remember that when Boromir asks to have it, Frodo is going to respond by saying, remember, that's we're supposed to not do that. Remember. Right. Um, there's a there's a clear rule about that. Right. And again, Sam is going to avail himself of that kind of thing. Also, when he is up against it. Right. Um, when he is making is making his choices. Uh, the choices of Master Samwise up there in the past. Um, There is a clear... Yes, Rachel, exactly. There is a clear job description, right, which lays things out clearly and explicitly. Um... I wonder, Lupita, if uh, there's a hope that saying it out loud might help to resist, help people to resist the temptations as Elrond's voice carries power. Certainly authority when spoken in this way. This is the official charge that is laid on him. Um, I think about, I mean, of course, I, you know, we're all kind of thinking of Boromir in part because Boromir is going to be the one of the major crises, right, of this uh, of this charge. Um Think of the extent to which this charge helps to protect Frodo from Boromir. Let me ask that question another way. Or make that suggestion another way. Think of the position it puts Boromir in, right? Boromir hears this charge, right? He knows what Frodo has been commanded to do as ringbearer in order for him to come to Frodo and say, let me borrow the ring. Right. As much as he has lots of rationalizations for it. Right. But he knows he's putting Frodo in a difficult position. He knows he's going to be putting Frodo in a position where Frodo is going to have to break his charge and for a man of honor like Boromir for him to ask somebody else to break his sworn word really big deal right um that is some it's going to take a lot to uh for Boromir to overcome his own natural tendency to not do that right um that's a it's a, it's it's a really big deal we'll see this explicitly um come up in the discussion between, you know, Aragorn and Aemir and Gandalf in the Two Towers, right? The whole question of, uh, you know, asking somebody to deviate from their sworn word and all that kind of thing. Um, uh, yes, Emily, exactly. His own rationale, tell them I took it by force, um, shows he's thinking about it. He's like It shows the work that has already been happening in his heart to bring him to the point where he can rationalize attempting to get around that, which is just, it makes anybody asking him for it obviously the wrong thing. It's obviously a wrong. Right now, today, before Elrond said this, I'm not sure it would appear to Boromir an obviously bad thing to do. Why not? Why shouldn't he go to Frodo and say, lend me the ring? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with him attempting to to, to, to reason with Frodo? Right? Yeah, yeah, the council said that we should do this other thing, but um, you know, we can still discuss it further. We can come to our own council on this. Right? There's some protection, I think. Um, There's some protection, I think, that is being afforded to Frodo by having everybody leaning forward and carefully listening to Elrond's last word, which says he is essentially oath bound. You know this charge has been formally laid upon him, not to deliver it to any or let anyone handle it, save members of the company and the council, and only then in gravest need. Um, he has to include that because, of course, this is the this is the Sam. you know, the Sam clause here, right? There might be gravest need. He can't just forbid him ever to give it to anyone, right? I mean, if the charge that is laid upon the ring bearer is um, throw the ring into the fires at the cracks of doom or make somebody else pry it out of your cold, dead hands, those are your two options, right? I mean, if, if, if he maintained the charge as rigidly as that, then... Now, ironically, Sam thinks his hands are both cold and dead at the time that he takes it away. But I mean, it's there are circumstances under which letting a member of the company handle it in gravest need could be the right thing to do. Um, And so he does not want to close that door. Yeah. Yeah. Amorea, I wonder. Um, Amorea says they might have considered passing the ring around a good strategy to give Frodo a break before. I don't think Gandalf would be tempted to think that way. I I doubt Aragorn would either, but um, I could imagine Pippin suggesting it, right? Sam is going to get there. Sam, again, think about that one too, right? How Sam thinking ahead to that, right? The moment when Sam says let me carry it for you a bit, Master, right? Um there's a lot of inhibition that he has to overcome. And that'll be an interesting thing to compare to the Boromir overcoming of inhibitions, won't it? Um, yeah. Especially if they have read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Exactly! Where they do exactly that! Um, uh, share the load in that way, I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, right. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, I think that there's the uh, the kind of addressing every possible angle and you know closing the loopholes. I think is important not just for what it is communicating to Frodo and the way in which it can you know strengthen his own resolve, um, in various circumstances. But I think it's it also does serve as a protection for him against members of the company. And I think that it seems a fair corollary to draw from this. Um, Elrond is... I'm not saying that he suspects that members of the company are going to try and take it, but he knows it's got to be on the table. Right? I mean, think of what they know about how Gollum got the ring. Right? Gollum got the ring by strangling his best friend. Right? On first seeing it, Right? for seeing it he was induced to strangle his best friend now that doesn't speak particularly well of Smeagol's character prior to that um, that, he, that the ring worked on him quite so swiftly as that um, I, sometimes I've been asked that question why does, why does Bilbo you know, respond to, you know, takes so long to get corrupted by the ring compared to Gollum when it just seems to snap Smeagol immediately, right, as soon as he sees it, before he even touches it. Um, and, I mean, honestly, my answer is because Bilbo's a really nice guy and Smeagol is not a really nice guy. I mean, that's a seems like a silly answer, but I, I, I think that's kind of the answer, right? I mean, there was—the ring had a lot more to work with. Anyway, um, the point is um, that he's got to know that this kind of thing could—, could could come up. What's going to happen? There's, you know, Sam might say in the council, surely you're not going to send him alone, Master, right? Um, but at the same time, they've got to know that there's a certain risk in sending him with companions. Right? I mean, yeah, it, there could be strength that's added in the the quest, you know, the chances of success in the quest might be increased um, by having some companions who can help him on the road. But it might get decreased as well. Um, they're giving the ring a lot of time to work on his companions, and who knows? Who knows what can happen um, along the way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, several of you were talking about the council. Um, The question, Matt, I think you were asking is the council here, the council in question, is that the council of Elrond or is it the white council? I've always thought he meant the council of Elrond, like the group of people who made the decision. Um, Those are the ones who seem most obviously relevant. I mean, it, it could be the white council. I don't think it's the White Council. And here's the reason I don't think it's the White Council. I don't think it's the White Council because he doesn't, he doesn't specify. Um, the White Council, we know the White Council exists. But, I mean, think about how often the White Council has been alluded to. And, like, who's on the White Council? Answer that for me without thinking of Unfinished Tales at all. Just based on the text of the Lord of the Ring, Of the Lord of the Rings. Who's on the White Council? We don't even know. We don't even know. Um, for sure. I mean, we know some people who are on it, but we don't know its full membership. We don't know how many people are on it, right? Um, even apart from the fact that it's obviously changed, um, given... Uh, uh, yes, from The Hobbit, right? When the White Council was clearly, like, a professional organization for wizards. Um, and uh, that's changed, obviously. But, um, but yeah, and... Um, Let's see, what was... Uh, somebody was just saying something I wanted to come back to. Hang on. Um, uh, right, yeah. Gilganthier was saying the White Council would be a really bad idea given the Ring's relationship with people in power. Yeah, exactly. Um, in one sense, the White Council would seem to be the most obvious people, right? The greatest forces for good in the world, in Middle-earth right now, right? Um, Surely, if you're going to trust somebody, you should trust one of them, right? Except um, maybe not, right? Um, For those, the ring holds even greater peril. Um, And everybody on the White Council, with one very significant exception that we've met so far, um, has explicitly sworn off, like, even touching it, right? Um, Because it would be a really bad idea. Gandalf doesn't want to be tempted. Elrond won't take the ring um, under any circumstances. Uh, And I just... The use of just the phrase, the council... I can't imagine Elrond referring to the White Council with that kind of familiarity. Like everybody, Frodo, Merry, Pippin, right? Are gonna, like When you refer to the Council, going to be like, well, obviously the White Council, right? Really? Are they going to be thinking that? Um, is that going to be clear to anybody? Whereas there was a Great Council. You know, it was a couple months ago now, right? But there was a Great Council. And that was the Council, right? I mean, I think if in, in Rivendell you know, at Christmas time of this year, you refer to the council and you're talking about the ring, people are going to be thinking about, you know, the council. Also, there's another reason why this makes sense and that is everyone in the council knows A, that the ring is there, B, that it's Sauron's ring of power, C, that it's going to Mount Doom, and that's the plan. Um, And so whosoever takes the ring and becomes the ring bearer should continue the quest of Mount Doom, right? And D, who has it, right? Like, Frodo's appointment as, you know, initial ring bearer um, is uh, also known to everybody in the council of Elrond, right? They were all there in the room um, or wherever they were, right? Um, but uh, but there are members of the White Council, Saruman very notably, right, who will not know that right now. And I don't know that they're going to get told that, that he's going to be sending out, you know, updates to everybody. Now, we do know that he's been he's going to send an update to Galadriel, right? She will find out about this. He's not going to keep the secret from her. But that does not tell me that he's necessarily going to tell, you know, send out a memo to everybody on the White Council. Heads up, uh, we found Sauron's Ring of Power. We're sending it to Mount Doom for destruction in the hands of Frodo, the Halfling of the Shire. Like, I don't think he's circulating that memo to anybody who wasn't there at the Council. They all know it already. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, Arden Cran, the point isn't that anybody who is at the council would be a fabulous person to give the ring to, right? Um, yeah, there would be lots of problems with handing it back to Bilbo. I totally agree. Um, but, um, But, again, the point isn't that anybody at the council will be an equally good, you know, <laughs> person to, like... Hand the ring to you know while you finish your beer or something like that. Um, the point is, they all you're not going to be disclosing any secrets um, if you let any if you let a member of the council handle it. Whereas anybody outside the company and the council, those are the two groups of people who know what the heck is going on. They're the only two groups of people in the world who know what the heck is going on, right? And you have to list both, by the way, of course, because there's some members of the company who weren't at the council. Well, two members of the company who were not in the council, right? The indignant Marion Pippin. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, certainly I agree. Not everyone in the company is an equally good choice to handle the ring. Exactly, for Dr. Cannon. Like, we... we, we might even already be able to guess that Boromir might not be the top candidate. Um, That's a fun... Here's a fun game. Let's rank in order from worst idea to best idea. Discounting Frodo, because Frodo has the ring, right? So of the eight other members of the company... How would we rank them from best idea to let him handle the ring to worst? No, from, from worst to best. Worst idea to handle the ring to best. Boromir, obviously is number one. Worst idea, right? We don't want to hand it to Boromir. A little hindsight tells us that, but I think we already have reason to guess that. Um, so I put Boromir at the top of that list. I'd put Gandalf number two also, Matt. Absolutely, I would put Gandalf number two. Gandalf, would I think, put himself number two. Yeah. Aragorn, I would put number three as well, Lincoln. I agree with that. Um, That's a pretty good list, Lincoln. That's a pretty good list. Um, Boromir, Gandalf... Hang on, I'm trying to go back to your list, Lincoln. There it is. Boromir, Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Merry, Pippin, Sam. Yeah, Sam's obviously at the bottom of that list. He's obviously the best person to give it to, right? And I agree that Merry and Pippin, in some order would be right above Sam. Pippin might seem like a bad idea, but here's what I would say. I think Pippin is the kind of bad idea who is like such a bad idea that he is a good idea. <laughs> right. In the small hands sense, right? Um, I, I, you know, clueless, bumbling, impetuous, you know, sign you up, right? Now, Trifle, okay. I'm not sure if Bill is... Below Sam on the list, but but pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Bill the Pony is, is clearly on Sam's end of this particular spectrum. Um, yeah, Emily, I, I think the only reason in my mind Gandalf would be below Boromir on this list is... You're right that Gandalf has more power and potential to cause harm. That's why I would put Gandalf number two on this list. Um, but I still put him behind Boromir because... Just because somebody has power doesn't mean they're like definitely going to give in to the temptation, right? There's still a chance they could resist the temptation. Um, and I think that Gandalf's you know, yes, Gandalf has more power, it would be even worse if he had the if he you know claimed the ring for himself, but he's also far more likely to resist to not. Dyke, like do evil with it. Um, you know, not to use it, to keep it unused, right? Um, which he doesn't trust himself to do, but I still think it's more likely that he would do that than that Boromir would. So, um, uh, yeah, okay. Trifle puts Aragorn below Legolas and Gimli. Maybe. Maybe. Um, okay, Mad Violinist says Boromir, Gandalf, Pippin, I disagree with you about Pippin, Chris. Um, Gimli, Aragorn, Legolas, Merry, Sam. Interesting. Interesting. I might agree with you with Gimli going above Aragorn. If only because of the potentially um, kind of um, sketchy... um, There's a lot more, perhaps, to work on in Gimli's heart, the desire for wealth and uh, the whole heritage that he has of relationship to the Rings of Power, right? Um, you know, the dwarves are still kind of pro-Rings of Power. Yeah, I, you know, feel like uh, the loss of their Rings of Power is mere deprivation, so maybe he would be more tempted to, you know... Give it a whirl, right? If he had it, whereas Legolas might have more inhibitions, I could kind of, I could kind of see that. I think, um, I'm tempted to put Aragorn ahead of Legolas and Gimli because he's uh, just because of the power index, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, where does Gollum fit? Um, well, if we're counting him as an honorary member of the company. I, Gollum is—is is this a question? He's the—he t- is the last person I want to give the ring to. Yeah, like if the question is whom can we most trust with the ring? Gollum. Newsflash: Don't trust Gollum with the ring. Uh, you know, again, I know the irony is that he's the one who's going to achieve the quest of Mount Doom, right? I know, but that doesn't mean you entrust it to him, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, okay. Cool. Sorry, I'm missing a lot of comments, but, um, and it's getting a little bit late here, so we'll keep moving. Um, okay. Okay. All right. Um, but right exactly be honest hunter it's not it's not like uh you know gollum proves trustworthy to accomplish the quest right I mean he accomplishes the quest but just didn't mean to uh yeah it wasn't his fault that he achieved the quest um but um yeah yeah um yeah we'll um we'll see we'll see um but uh okay anyway Sorry, that was a fun exercise. Never thought of that before. But, um, yeah, remember, so this is why I think the council has to be the council of the and It can't be the white council. i almost, I almost ready to say can't be the white council. Because, again, most importantly, it's about secrecy. Um, it's about secrecy. And, again, the one thing that all the members of the white council have is power, and that does not qualify them to be logical and intuitive people to allow to handle the ring. This means, by the way, that in offering it to Galadriel, Frodo is breaking his charge. He is not supposed to let Galadriel handle the ring. Um, Now, she also is going to agree that it would be a bad idea for her to take it, right? Um, But I think, uh, once again, that Elrond's charge here gives us a little cheat sheet when it comes to that even before we hear her response his idea frodo's idea to offer it to her seems very rational in a lot of ways but i think we already know it's that would not be right that would not um elrond would not agree um it is against history he would be doing wrong to give her the ring. He would be breaking his charge to give her the ring. Um, For those of you who think that it should be the White Council in order to include Goadriel as one who should handle it, let me ask you this. Do you really think that Elrond thinks giving it to Goadriel is a good idea? Do you think he doesn't know Goadriel well enough to know that that might possibly backfire if you give it to Goadriel? That by, like, dropping it into her palm, you're, at the very least, not doing her any favors, much less, perhaps, all of Middle-earth. Um, I don't think... No, I would be strong... I was going to say, I don't think that Elrond would put in a but Galadriel's okay clause in this charge. But I'm going to go stronger than that. Not only do I not think that he would go out of his way to include Galadriel among the list of people who it would be okay to handle the ring. I think that Elrond is wise enough to know, I want to arm you against that too. Again, the charge is not just to restrict Frodo. It's also to like equip Frodo, to support Frodo, right? Um, I think that if he's remembering, if he were to be remembering his charge, he would have reason to know, I shouldn't even make this offer. Um, Aspen, you're right. Did Frodo see it as gravest need, offering Galadriel the ring? No. I. No. Clearly not. In offering it to Galadriel, he's coming this close to casting it away. Now, he's not just chucking it down a pit or in the river, right? Um, he's not, you know, chucking it in the river and bolting. But... Um, but it's closer to that than it is letting someone else handle it in gravest need, right? I think there's more than one reason to think that this charge that is laid upon him by Elrond counterindicates handing it to Galadriel. Handing it to Galadriel would be breaking his promise. Um, now, he still offers it. He still offers it. And it, it's understandable that he does. He gets swept away in the moment. We'll get there eventually. I forget exactly when we said we'd get there. We'll get there in a few years. We'll get there in a few years. And I'm really looking forward to that scene. Um, but yeah, I really um, I do not at all think that his offering the ring to Galadriel is a good idea. Um, and I yes, Galadriel is Elrond's mother-in-law. Right? But I think that that means he knows her well enough to know. Um, I mean, he he doesn't go out of his way. Um, he is sufficiently polite to his mother in law not to go out of his way to say P.S. Especially my mother in law. Just trust me, man. Don't do it. Right. Um, he doesn't say that or anything like that. But um, but yes, I think it was Frodo was in the wrong. Um, I get Goadra herself clearly says like. I hear you, but that would be a bad idea. She tells him that his idea is a bad idea to give her the ring, right? My point, so I don't think I'm saying anything shocking in saying that his idea to give Guadalupe the ring is a bad idea. She tells him that, right? And explains why it would be a bad idea. My argument is merely he could have worked that out for himself had he been thinking more clearly. He could have worked that out for himself in advance based only on this on this charge. It's in two different senses, breaking his charge to hand the ring to Galadriel. Um, so yes, I do not think that um, Galadriel is being somebody was. I think it was yeah uh, uh, Everett on um, uh, YouTube before had I mentioned his comment. He was saying like uh, the the mention of the council. If we take it as the White Council, he said it sounds almost like you know uh, Elrond is trying to gerrymander Galadriel in. Right, you know, to as among people and I don't think he is. I it, oh, he's almost gerrymandering gerrymandering her out, actually. Um, um yeah, yeah. Um anyway, um Yeah, she does acknowledge that Frodo is testing her, uh trifle, or at least that Frodo's offer is a test, right? Um, even though he perhaps doesn't understand um, but um anyway okay um let's move on well hang on in transitioning to the rest of Elrond's last word let's talk about um, the other part on him alone is laid any char- is any charge laid isn't that interesting? On him alone is any charge laid. Why? Maybe a set of, you know, a, a little charge for non ring bearers in the company might have seemed appropriate, wouldn't it? Right? I mean, okay, ringbearer, here's your job, right? Your job, quest of Mount Doom, right? Don't do this, this or this right except under possibly these circumstances right now everybody else i got some words for you too right i mean surely right like um don't uh try to take the ring from frodo don't blow your stupid horn right, when you're trying to keep be secret right don't um um don't tell anybody about the plan, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that, uh, um, that he could have included in a charge that was laid upon everybody else, but he doesn't do it. On him alone is any charge laid. I lay no charge upon any of the rest of you. And then he doubles down on it. The others go with him as free companions to help him on his way. That's, so that's not exactly a charge And it's pretty vague in terms of instructions. Help him on his way. The others go with him as free companions. You are volunteers, let me emphasize. And not only am I emphasizing that you're going of your own free will, I'm going to then triple down on it, right? You may tarry or come back or turn aside into other paths as chance allows. So the only instructions I'm giving to everybody else is that at any time you are free to ditch Frodo and go somewhere else. At any time. Right? No problem. So your purpose is to help him on his way. But, you know, if at any point you don't feel like it, no pressure. It's fine. Um, and then he gives them a warning. The further you go, the less easy will it be to withdraw. That's not a charge. That's not an injunction that's just an observation, right? That's a public service announcement. FYI, if you do stay along, the further you, if you're going to leave, you might want to leave soon, right? Because the longer you stay, the harder you're going to find to withdraw. That's just how it's going to be, right? Um, So, you know, keep that in mind. If you you can opt out at any time, but if you don't opt out soon, opting out is gonna become harder and harder. Yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will, but I'm gonna re-emphasize I'm quadrupling down on the fact that I'm not no no one is gonna make any of you do anything. No oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will it's all it's all fine. it's all good. Um, the rest of you. This is a weird This is a weird thing. Isn't it weird? I think this is weird. Um when you think about other quests very rarely are the like, you know, main companions on a quest not only given an option, but like repeatedly and forcibly um <laughs> told that they can ditch it at any time, right? You are on this incredibly grave quest to save the world. But if at any time you see, like, a rabbit, you know, bolting off, you can chase after it, it's, it's fine. It's fine. In fact, I encourage you, right? Um, only stick with it if you want to. If you don't feel like it, no pressure. I mean, that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. I think that's weird, right? Um, he keeps emphasizing... The freedom of their will, right? Notice how that keeps coming up. I mean, like, look at this. Look at that section through the through the lens of the phrase free will, right? Um, the others go with him as free companions. You may tarry or come back or turn aside as chance allows. The less easy will it be for you to withdraw, but no, you know, no bond or oath is laid on you to go further than you will. Why? He explains, for you do not yet know the strength of your hearts, and you cannot foresee what each may meet upon the road. You do not yet know the strength of your hearts. Well, that's not much of a pep talk, right? I emphasize that you can turn back at any time because many of you may turn out to be cowards and you don't realize it yet. So I'm leaving you an out just in case you want to run away later. Right. Um yeah, there's no punishment for deserters, Aspen. Absolutely. There's no punishment for deserters. Um <laughs> exactly. You may all be pathetic weaklings, so best be prepared for that. Um Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um and I agree too, Juice Man. I think that's exactly the point. Um that uh if um it's Important in the context of the ring, um, they're not being it's 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 it is he is so emphatically emphasizing the freedom of their will, right? Um, right, with the exception of the ring bearer who has chosen of his own freedom, and remember how at the time of the naming of the company he, um, uh, emphasized, right, emphasized and re-emphasized Frodo's free choice. Made him choose it again, remember? Like, made him re-up as ring-bearer openly in front of everyone, right? In that moment. Um, Yes, I will go with Sam. Remember that that, that scene? Um, Yeah, he... um, I agree likely about that the ring is anti-free will. Um, And he is taking a radically... Elrond, I mean, is taking a radically non... If Sauron is all about the domination of other wills, Elrond is going about as far in the extreme, in the opposite direction as he possibly can go. Right? There is only one... You cannot overcome the enemy with his own weapons. Right? You have no chance of worsting the enemy with its own weapons. Don't even try. I know the irony. I'm quoting. Never mind. Anyway, the point is... That's not going to happen. Mostly, it's complicated. We'll get there. I'm talking about the Oathbreakers, right? By its own enemy, by its own weapons, was it worsted? Uh, Gimli and Legolas are reflecting on that when they're thinking about the Paths of the Dead and the Battle of uh, of Pilar Gear. But anyway, um, uh, he is taking a radical free will stand. A radical. Um, a radical uh, anti-domination stand, right? Um, putting them in a frame of mind which is the opposite to that which Sauron places people in. Um, and um, and yes, none will become Oathbreakers if they leave. Now, I, I don't think um, I don't think that becoming like undead Oathbreakers is quite the epidemic condition <laughs> that Lotro would lead us to believe it is, uh, uh, you know. Um, but d- nevertheless, yeah, it's still a really big deal. Um, it's still a really big deal. Um, okay, let's um, let's stop there. We'll we'll pick this up again. I want I'm not quite done with this because there's one element of this that we haven't talked about yet and which I want to make sure we end with here and then bring together along with this free will stuff into into the next passage which has always been a favorite of mine the uh um the the aphorism battle between Gimli and Elrond uh is what's next um but um anyway so I uh, the element, by the way, that we didn't get to on this slide that I want to come back and talk more about is chance. Um, his reference to chance, because I think it's actually possibly the most important part of this speech. We haven't got to it yet, so we'll talk. We'll we'll do that and then transition into the aphorism duel um, uh, next time. So, but remember, next time will be three Weeks from tonight, Um, I will not be available the next two Tuesdays, uh, so you can tune in on the tenth of May, uh, Tuesday, the tenth of May, uh, for our next, um, uh, our next, uh, our next discussion. All right. Meantime, we'll do a quick field trip. I know I'm running late here tonight, but uh, let's. um Yes, exactly. If you uh, if you've uh, missed older episodes, you can get caught up. all right, it's a field trip time for those of us who are, those of you who are in game with us here. I want to follow along for those of you who are only here for the book discussion. Have a good evening. See you in three weeks. Let's see. All right. Okay, so we're headed back to the Angle. We were, um, uh, I think we, we did the, yes, in Tornhod uh down near the tip of the angle uh yep. was where we last finished
1: okay yeah now we're talking about what was said at which council and what's going on and i have uh, in my head uh the the song from hamilton about being in the room where it happened
0: exactly i, I don't make I, me I,
1: sing please i won't i, I won't I, I don't want to get demonetized <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly right yeah exactly you sing that we're gonna we'll get banned from youtube this episode um yes. but um but yeah no I, 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 parody being <laughs> yeah i really do think that that is the main determining factor of who gets included and who doesn't um the p- people who are in the room where it happened who know what's going on right don't betray the secret to anybody who doesn't already know it um Uh, Fortunately, he doesn't lay any oaths upon anybody not to do that, because, of course, Gandalf is going to tell people about it later on. But
1: And and I know you're saying that, you know, there's no, like, you know, we we joke about white factories and stuff like that, you know. I know Oathbreakers aren't quite as common as this game would have seen. But uh, the last Oathbreakers broke their word for some pretty serious end-of-world stuff. You know, and it yeah, I mean, Condor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's involved it Gandor. The options were right if he had yeah. pressed on them.
0: You're right that had everyone taken a really, really solemn oath, you know, not to betray the ring bearer, um, and then betray the ring bearer, it does create. Now, is that going to be enough to trigger? You know. Oathbreaker status, you know, and uh, become a wandering spirit. Again, Isildur specifically doomed them to that outcome, right? It's not like an automatic yeah. knee-jerk reaction to having broken an oath. Um, Is one of but them
1: uh, really mad, and we're like legendary figures of which we have, you know, three
0: right.
1: currently present.
0: Right, but if I, I mean, if somebody asked me, do I think that Elrond has the juice? You know, to lay down a curse on people that you know, um I, yeah, I think if Isildur yeah. could do it, Elrond could do it. Although I don't think he has the will. But you know. Yeah, although I'd have to um uh although I'd have to say that um there is something that Isildur had that Elrond lacks and that's it's pushy beard. That's one Sorry. thing. Um no uh, authority. Authority. Like he's not the king basically. Um, So he has gravitas. He has power of a sort. Um, But Isildur was the rightful king and that matters, I think. Um, Whereas uh, Elrond isn't the boss of them. Right? He doesn't have like properly invested authority in the same way. Um, Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: but uh, Elrond is essentially being sort of like a, a, a gentler, kinder version of Bandos here, the, just sort of pronouncing.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting parallel. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Fruunius uh, Bujem uh, Elrond isn't king anywhere. Um, uh, no, the rule of no realm is his. He's very widely respected, um, but he's not. Uh, he's not king of of anywhere. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um. Anyway. Okay. But this is yep. us not continuing the discussion. We're this is field trip time. So we'll yeah. we'll have time to talk about this stuff more later on. Um.
2: Corey, can I interject the PSA for our lotro players? Oh, yes. Yes.
0: Uh, right. Sure. Wait. Let me just m- first. M- okay. So we're going back Enter- to the road connected. and then heading to whatever this ruin on the map is and seeing yes. if we can see Gwingreese from there. So that means I'm supposed to go in the direction I'm facing okay good got it all right heading off towards the ruins you can give the PSA while we ride
2: well everybody's playing Lotro the anniversary event starts tomorrow um after the downtime every account will be granted uh one per account reward so you want to be very careful which server you log in anytime after tomorrow otherwise you may wind up getting your goodies on the wrong server you'll be a very unhappy panda
0: OK, so you, after inventory. <laughs> the next time you log in with any character after the after the update, mm-hmm. whatever character you log in with gets all the goodies and you can't transfer them to another character.
2: Right. There's going to be a bunch of stuff that all accounts will get account wide, um, like a horse, a title, etc. Um, but there are certain one per account items, uh, including like collector's editions of Mordor, Miss Tyr- or I'm sorry, um, Minas Morgul. And War of Three Peaks, which includes um, extra in game stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, one character will get those things. So, you want to make sure you have them on the right server.
0: Okay. Okay. That is good to know. I once got.
2: And your in inventory first, Corey. <laughs> I once mm-hmm. had
0: an issue with that um, where I logged in just like with one of my crafting alts and was like, well, shoot. <laughs> um, so, yes. Created okay.
1: a new character and everything was level two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. All right. So here we are in a massive Rudar in ruin, um, which is called what? Felgarth. That's interesting. Helgarth. Okay, Let
1: me get the spelling of that real uh, quick before we log off this time. Sorry? Oh, so I'm just, because I have to take notes. I'm going to get the spelling right before I move Oh, right. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Um Yeah, okay. So um uh Emily, the VIP subscriber buffs will now be two weeks instead of just Uh forty-eight hours. Oh Uh, man, that might me actually that might actually make induce me to visit Wanda Cranesville regularly instead of because I don't want to do that every single time I log on. But Mm -hmm. if only I have to do it every other time I log on, now we may be talking. So okay, anyway. Okay, so um Let's review Arnorian ruins we have known. Um, I don't mean globally; I mean here. So um, we saw this is our third Arnorian ruin. We had the the Elvish ruin um, mm-hmm. uh, here, just to the south of the camp uh, where my name twin was hanging out, and then we have the Arnorian ruin, um, which we decided was a temple. Right south of that. Mm-hmm. Then we saw... Well, we saw that one little random quasi-ruin with, like, a couple pillars are randomly yeah. in a clearing that we couldn't really quite figure out what that was meant to be. Um, but then we did also see some Arnorian walls and things there near the village, right? Um, hmm. Thornhud, where we just were. Um, those those seemed to be... we uh, and, and we saw more of them down by the water, so that looked like... Um, you know a landing stage like docks and a landing stage by the river uh for the river traffic coming down and river trade coming down and possibly probably a defensive wall uh to protect the um you know the the river landing from any land based assault right um now this what we're getting here in Thelgarth this is a legitimate castle. Like this is a fortress. We've not seen.
1: This is pretty this. intact for what we've usually seen.
0: It really is. It, it's very interesting. So we're getting, um, we've got the wall. It's all very standard Arnorian stuff. It's not a very yep. high wall. I am looking no. on either side of the gateway here. Um, we've but got some fairly substantial towers. This was a big old open courtyard in here. Um, Big old Roman with,
1: arches.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in this, like, highway, right, that stretches down through multiple directions over there. I think that that's kind mm. of interesting. And then we get another one sort of over here, right? I bet if I turn right, I'm going to see down another. There it is. I was right. Yeah, yep. so we've got all these long avenues. So we've got all of these different partitions of the fortress all kind of uh, coming together. And then at the top okay. of this... Opening. I see. Do I get the same thing down here? Yes, I do. Goes up a level, but yeah, um, this is all very, very orderly, right? It's um, like
1: a tiny version of Osculio.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, you're right. They don't line up, so there's a straight line all the way through, Katriana. Um, but they do keep lining up on either side, right? We're getting this. Uh, mm-hmm. th- there's a lot of urban planning going on here, is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. You wouldn't want all of them to line up exactly strategically because that would open yourself to attack. But yeah, it would make
0: it easier to line up, but to not all of them. Exactly. Exactly. And this is clearly a defensive structure. But it's also this also seems like a sort of a civic capital, right? I mean, look at this. We've got um, I was calling it a courtyard, but it's almost more like a, a, high, a an avenue, right, that comes in through these columns. I'm imagining there probably was something above those columns, right? Some kind of archway um, mm-hmm. uh, up above. I don't know if there was a full roof over this. Probably not, but... Um, I think it would be
1: more but, stone if there
0: was a roof. Right, yeah, I would think so. Though it could have been a wooden roof, but... Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, with this straight line from the main uh, gate... It's a defensive structure, but it also doesn't really look like one that was sort of expecting attack. Think of Minas Tirith, right? How you have, like, the gates staggering on either side, so you've got to zigzag okay. back and forth to go up the, the mountain, right? That's fair, you know, placing the gates at opposite extremes to make them, to make, you know, invaders have to take the longest and most difficult possible route is pretty standard. Um Here, there's like what looks like literally a highway between the main gate and here, which looks like the entrance to the command center, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But you couldn't get a siege weapon.
0: No, it'd be harder. But anyway, the point is that I don't think it's, um, and this is a defensive structure, but it doesn't look like one that was, you know, on the frontier of war necessarily either, which would fit with what we know of this place. There were elves around here, but the primary people that the rudarans had to worry about were the uh, were the uh, the folks of arvadine arthadine rather and um, and they're pretty far from there like way down here in the angle uh, yeah um you know this is pretty sheltered from everybody by the rivers for one thing um you know facing you know only with the land assault possible from you know up in the angle there um but it's also um you know that there were we haven't seen any non-Rudauran Arnorian ruins anywhere around here, unlike throughout the Lone Lands. Remember where we were seeing, yeah. you know, Arthodyne over here and Rudaur over here, all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So this is a strong fortress, but it looks like it was almost built more for impressiveness than like impregnability. Um,
1: yeah someone mentioned Esteldin and I think that's a good point. Esteldin is definitely a fortress and was designed to be a fortress while this is more homey, I guess. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. Not to mention, of course, that Esteldin is practically invisible, right, and the best kept secret in the North
2: Downs. Most popular Um, best kept secret.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Actually,
2: the world builder was talking about that today on his stream. yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So this is like a great hall. It well, great-ish hall, right? But this seems like some kind of, like, reception hall. Like, again, I'm ignoring all the, you know, low-quality wooden things here. Um, by yeah. the way, who were those chaps that y'all were shooting? There were a bunch of humans here.
1: Um, I forgot. Let's see if they respond.
2: Half-orcs. Oh. Were they half-orcs? It says mm-hmm. ruffian. Ruffians and half-orcs. Ruffians okay. and half orcs.
0: An yep. angle ruffian. Not an angular ruffian, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Um.
1: This looks like a scoundrel. Uh, yeah, here's your red-headed half-orc over here.
0: Okay, right. That's That guy's a half-orc. Right, okay. A half-orc bruiser. And then who's in here? Right, half-orcs. Okay.
1: Ooh, this guy's glowy.
0: Oh, yeah, he is, isn't he? Um, okay.
1: Captain. Man, I was just
0: thinking all of a sudden, how long has it been since Narnian has used a combat skill?
2: A time long, he got time. killed in Vegbar? Well, yeah. no, I got killed for not
0: using my combat skills, but, uh, but anyway. Um, normally, if worst comes to worst, I just summon my cat and then just let him handle it and carry yeah. on looking at things. Um
1: Oh that's right, we had to put him away when he started killing people's livestock.
0: Yeah, we did. We did, yeah. We had to protect the we had to protect the animals. Is um Yeah, the lynx is still my favorite lore master pet. Um Okay. Now these ruffians.
1: Stand your ground, stand your ground.
0: Get a look. It's on his belt. Ram's head head on his belt. That's interesting.
1: Looks like he's been wounded.
0: Yeah, maybe. He's, uh, you know, the ruffian, looking like 10 miles of bad road there. Okay. So, the people that have invested, so these are half-orc's Random ruffians like the people who are scrounging for relics and things around here, Mm -hmm. too. Um, And and then the half-orcs, presumably coming up from the south, which I guess tracks. We've got half-orcs and ruffians coming up through Dunland from Isengard in the south, so some of them could have worked their way over through here. I suppose.
1: A um, lot like, the half and ruffians we've been seeing in the Lone Lands. Yeah. Especially the half-orcs.
0: Yeah. So one of the main impressions I get from this fortress here is that um, it's very... Huh, there's these halls. Only ever have the one entrance. Um, and yeah, we have not seen... Hmm. These ceilings are in really good repair. I feel like most of the patterns there on the ceiling we've seen, I don't know if we've seen any in exactly this configuration. The elements are all familiar.
1: Yeah, we've seen ceilings like this before in a couple of down rooms.
0: Yeah. Anyway, the last sort of general impression I'm going to say is that this place feels like feels like a city, like this was the main population center. That's why it's so <laughs> big and sprawling, right? I mean, you could imagine like wooden houses lining some of these, or like, you know, set back in some of these courtyards and things. Um, you know, which, what, those things which are now open courtyards but could have been full of wooden houses. And it just keeps going and going and going in different sections and like different sub areas and parts of town and stuff. You know, I think this was the main population center for the Rue Diarrens, which makes sense. You know, it's not, it's pretty close to the, uh, you know, where the, the river, do, you know, docks were. It's, um, you know, just a little bit down from the temple. Um, you know, still pretty close to the river, but this, this I think must have been where, you know, the, the really the center of power and the population center, um, for this area. Um, which direction are we looking? Okay. We're looking east here. All right.
1: It makes you wonder Um, why uh, there's, there's no people who've re-inhabited here. It's such a big, beautiful area to be in. They're in Tornhead, but not in here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. Um, I bet they wanted to be closer to the river and like they didn't need a fortification. So, you know, this big old, you know, sprawling set of stone walls was, uh, not necessarily appealing to them,
1: Hmm.
0: but it is interesting. You're right. Um, anyway. Okay. Um, well I should probably let people go. It's late. Um, next time, I want to see if we can get a little bit of a scenic overlook of Gwingris, so we'll come back in this direction, go around the ruin, and see if we can get anywhere around the ruin. Um, try to see if we can, because uh, I'd like to see Gwingris from the other side if we can, since we're down here. And then we will head back up and out the other way to uh, this other place, Tom Lumren. So maybe we'll get to Tom Lumren next time. Maybe we won't. But, um... um yeah, no, in Arigian, What what's that... What's the Gwingris, you know, yeah, that town, it should be just across the river, right? We should be able to see it. Um, it's up on the bluff, right? We should be able to see it um, in in Oregon. Like, we should be fairly close to this. Now, where it's putting us on the map can't be right, can it? No, it's right. Is it right? Okay. Yep.
2: Gwingris well, is actually I- close to that other town.
0: I still want to find Gwingris, but we'll have to look at it from somewhere else. Well, then I want to get my I want to get my bearings and see where we are. But I, sorry, I was in I was implicitly distrusting the green dot because, like, uh, of how far off the green dot is over here, right? That's clearly not where we are. Um, so, anyway, but okay. Anyway, we'll um we'll take a look. So, anyway, thanks everybody for joining us today again. My apologies, but um, I'll be away for the next two weeks, so I look forward to being uh, back with you guys on the 10th of May, three weeks from tonight. Uh, so thanks very much, everybody, and we will talk to you guys in three weeks.
1: Bye now. See you in a fortnight.